0: Thanks for joining me now let's dive deep welcome back to the 12 days of funk miss we are celebrating a big milestone in podcasting we hit a million downloads earlier this month hooray so what i'm doing is re-releasing All the fan favorites, the most downloaded episodes, because we've got new folks coming to the show all of the time, and I want you guys to sink your teeth into the big meaty topics that are going to move the needle most for you. Today, we're talking about cholesterol, big, big topic. We're going to talk about um, whether eating cholesterol is a problem, what cholesterol does in the body, problems with low cholesterol. Underlying reasons for high cholesterol, how it relates to your hormones, and how to support healthy cholesterol levels among a great Many other things. So great episode to listen to and to share. This is a big one that you're going to want to share. I I am not surprised that it is one of the most popular episodes. Now we do have a fun giveaway going on. Uh, Coyote River Hemp Company, a longtime friend of the podcast, are giving away a full bottle of CBD and some CBD gummies over on Instagram. You got to check us out there at the Functional Nutritionist. We'll link all of that up in the show notes, of course. Um, and that's really all I have to say today. Uh, there's one point in the show where I'll talk about fat digestion. And if you need a little bit of a deeper dive or you want to figure out if you're digesting your fats well, you can do that with my free dig- digestive guide. Go to aaronholthealth.com forward slash digestive guide, again, linked in the show notes, and you can get that free guide to really help you with your fat digestion amongst other things so without much further ado here's the show hey folks we're back with a new episode today we're gonna get into all things cholesterol Uh, based on some listener questions that came in recently we're gonna totally unpack all the things that have to do with cholesterol okay let's get into the the podcast questions because they are good hi Erin I recently had some blood tests from my doctor and learned that I have high cholesterol. Her advice to me is to eat a healthy diet and exercise and take fish oil pills. My question is, what is cholesterol? I know there is good and bad cholesterol, but what does that mean? How worried should I be about this? I already eat pretty healthy and I exercise a lot. Fish oil pills gross me out. Is there a way I can get whatever I'm trying to get from them in my diet otherwise? I've chatted with friends about this and they all echo my first question, what even is cholesterol? Thanks, Nick. And then I had another question from Deborah, who says, hello. Can you please do a podcast on what to eat when cholesterol triglycerides non-hdl is elevated i absolutely love your podcast you're the most informative nutrition professional i have listened to thus far thank you deborah no deborah thank you that is extremely flattering thank you um we had a little bit of an email exchange and deborah went on to say that i am a fairly new rd that stands for registered dietitian from wisconsin i work at a, I'm not going to actually say the name of the clinic where she works on air publicly. Um, she said, I am more confused than I was when I was in college regarding education, educating patients on lipids. All the educational materials recommend low fat eating and limit saturated fat. I'm looking forward to your podcast because as I mentioned in my last email, you know your stuff and I trust your judgment more than the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I don't know about that, but I sh- surely got a chuckle out of it. Okay. Thanks again for all your hard work and research, Debbie. P.S. I just signed up for IFNA training. Um, IFNA stands for Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy. It's one of the trainings that I did. So way to go, Debbie. Good luck. You're going to love it. Okay. So let's do it. Um, I'm like stretching, getting ready for this. I have a huge mason jar of water. I am prepared. I mean, Settle in, folks. It's going to be a long, long one. Um, before we dive in, I have to post this disclaimer. This is not medical advice. Now, if you listened to last week's podcast, you probably heard me riff on this a little bit. Um, I am not your healthcare provider, so please don't take any of this as medical advice. It is simply research and information that I'm passing along to you, and then you can discuss this with your own healthcare provider. Um. I have answered, and I, I just wanna say that I do, do provide a lot of uh, references. I'll, I'll add them to the show notes. So any study that I reference, um, th- this, was, this is a very, very lengthy um, researched topic. I'm just like not, not getting on the mic and just blabbing away. Um, so any reference, excuse me, any study that I reference, is going to be in the show notes, I will link to it. Um, if you are looking for more, research beyond that. Um, I think that's a really good starting point, but you know, just poke around on PubMed, there's plenty of stuff to be seen there. Uh, but like I said, this, there's a lot of uh, resources. So if you wanna read full studies, they're there, they're right for the picking, go for it. Um, and I have answered this question a lot, but it was it's always been in the context of my food program. So for example, with my carb compatibility project, people start to add more fat and cholesterol to their diet and they are like, wait a second, this kind of flies in the face of everything that I've ever been told about food and cholesterol. And so people start to freak out a little bit and you might be feeling similarly, especially if you're starting to dip your toe into the whole real food arena and um, you're choosing Whole foods from the earth versus packaged foods from a box, right? You're like, wait a second, this feels kind of scary because now I'm eating more saturated fat, more cholesterol. Is this okay? So if you're feeling that super duper normal, hopefully I can alleviate some of your fears in today's show. Um, and this is really why I, I thought it made sense to blow it out into a whole entire episode um, and address it more publicly on the podcast, just because I'm seeing a lot of uh, trepidation and fear and anxiety about all this stuff. So hopefully by the end of the show, you'll understand what cholesterol actually does in your body and whether or not it's something to be feared. Um, it's a big subject. It really is. So I'm going to try to do my best to hit different facets of the topic. Um, hopefully I do it justice. We all know that cholesterol has been demonized in um, our modern food a lot of it stems back to the 1950s Um, an american scientist named ansel keys now if you if you've been in the real food world for a minute you've probably heard ansel about ansel keys unfortunately he's kind of the poster boy for um bad science reporting um so there's a lot of people that have addressed this a lot of different ways so i won't get into too much detail here um but he headed up something called the Seven Countries Study. And his hypothesis was that dietary saturated fat causes cardiovascular heart disease. Um, and, and we've based a lot of our recommendations off of this. Uh, the problem is that he cherry picked the data. So he chose data that supported his hypo- hi- hypothesis rather than reporting everything. So. Um, that's what cherry picking the data means. In case that's a new term to you, um, so basically we base our dietary recommendations on poor science. Um, and there's also this whole other, this whole other topic that I, we just don't have the time to get into today. But part of the demonization of cholesterol is that there's money to be made in cholesterol lowering medication. The statin industry is a multi billion dollar industry. Um, It is, at one point, it was um, cholesterol lowering meds were the number one prescribed drug in the US. I don't know if that's still the the case. They might be number two. But, point is, lots and lots of folks on cholesterol lowering medication. Um, It's a big big money is to be made on those drugs. Um, Again, not the point of this show, but just something to kind of throw out there to you. Um, Total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol are tested regularly. And if they're high, then the doctor will typically prescribe a statin And the patient is instructed to take it for the rest of his or her life. And that's sort of the end of the story. So Nick writes in and they say that their doctor said, basically like, live a healthy life, eat well, Take care of yourself, move your body, take some fish oil pills, you good. So I really appreciate that approach um, because it's more in line with everything I'm about to tell you. Unfortunately, that's not really the norm. Most people are being told that you need to go on a statin and on a statin you shall stay. Um, The current recommended guidelines are to keep total cholesterol under 200 and we have to ask, is that actually a healthy recommendation? And if you're flagged as having borderline high or high cholesterol, is that actually a bad thing? And is it something that requires intervention? And is the appropriate intervention a statin drug and dietary cholesterol avoidance? Okay? So those are all the questions that I hope to answer today. It is not just as straightforward as cholesterol is bad. It never is, right? It never is. It's always contextual. And cholesterol is actually necessary for human survival. We need cholesterol. So we're gonna talk about some of the great thing that, things that uh, cholesterol does, why we need it. We'll also get into problems with having low cholesterol. Yes? There's so much talk about high cholesterol that low cholesterol is often overlooked, but that's a problem too. Um, Reasons why it might be high, and hey, just a disclaimer, it's not because you have a statin deficiency, um, and also what you can do about it. And we will get into statins, so make sure you stay tuned to the end. I'm gonna talk about statins, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so that was a very long introduction. (laughs) Let's start off. What even is cholesterol, to use Nick's terminology? Cholesterol is a steroidal compound. It is essential for life. Uh, It's an integral part of every single cell in your body. It actually makes up your cell membranes. It is a precursor for other steroid hormones. Um, So hormonal health depends on that, Uh, depends on cholesterol, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, It's also a precursor for bile in your body something that not everyone necessarily realizes is that your body actually produces its own cholesterol. It's endogenous. We make it ourselves. Um, It's not like your body just takes cholesterol from food and then immediately turns it into blood cholesterol. That's, That's not how it works. Your liver actually produces it. And obviously, if your body produces something, it's because we need it for the most part, right? Your body wouldn't just make it and manufacture it if we didn't need it for, you know, cellular processes to live. Um, In order for cholesterol to be transported around the body and the blood, it has to be carried by proteins called lipoproteins. They're kind of like little vehicles or cars that shuttle cholesterol around. And this is where LDL and HDL comes into play. So LDL are low-density lipoproteins so low-density little CARs, and uh, HDL are high-density lipoproteins. So two different types of CARs. Cholesterol is cholesterol is cholesterol. It's the what makes it different or what makes it good or bad, I'm using my air quotes here, um, are the vehicles that are driving it around. HDL is considered the good cholesterol, air quotes on good. Um, it's the vehicle that takes cholesterol from the body's tissues and brings it back to the liver. High amounts of HDL is generally a good thing. It protects against heart disease. LDL is the bad cholesterol, and that takes cholesterol from the liver and brings it to the rest of the body. Um, Even though it's notoriously bad, it's really only harmful when it becomes oxidized and damaged so cholesterol isn't bad in and of itself but when cholesterol becomes damaged that's when it can become problematic if you are told that you have high ldl so that's usually flagged as a bad thing having high ldl what you should do is ask for a lipoprotein a test often known as lpa I always think of the Beastie Boys, like MCA. Uh, So an LPA test, which can tell if that LDL, um, it's just a more accurate predictor of of cardiovascular disease. So that would be something to do. At the end of the show, I'm going to talk about uh, different testing to ask for to get a more comprehensive view of whether you actually have heart disease risk or not. Um, But that one I just wanted to throw out there. When we're looking at just HDL and just LDL, it can tell you the concentration of cholesterol inside of the lipoproteins, but this doesn't really tell us about the plaque formation and heart disease risk. And that's really the big thing here is this atherosclerosis, the buildup of plaque, which is really a combination of calcium, fatty substances, and scar tissue. inside the artery. And we know that that's a bad thing. We don't want plaque buildup inside of our arteries. Um, This this leads to cardiovascular disease. This leads to heart disease. This is a problem. Um, And high cholesterol has been associated with plaque buildup. But that doesn't mean that it causes plaque buildup. Okay, and this is a big distinction. There is a difference between correlation and causation, and I've no doubt discussed this on discussed this on the show before, but it, it bears repeating. Um, correlation is saying two things are happening at the same time. Causation is saying one absolutely causes the other. One thing leads to the next thing. The um, the example that i always use i don't know where i first heard it it's just the one that like sticks in my brain all the time is um uh shark attacks are correlated with eating ice cream cones when you first hear that you're like what can we say that eating ice cream cones actually causes a shark attack No, we can't because correlation and causation are two different things. When you think about correlation, why would those two things be correlated? Well, gee, you tend to get attacked by a shark when you're on the beach. When you're on the beach, it's usually summertime. The sun is shining, it's hot. You're more likely to be eating ice cream cones at that time, right? So the two things are happening, even though they're not, one has nothing to do with, with the other, one did not cause the other, they're still correlated with one another, okay? Kind of a silly example. Like I said, I don't know why that one always pops out in my head, but it drives the point home. Cholesterol is an anti-inflammatory compound. If something causes inflammation in the body, like let's say consuming sugar, consuming refined flours, having an infection, having a Gut dysbiosis, anything that's driving inflammation in the body, cholesterol levels will rise in an attempt to soothe down that inflammation. But this doesn't mean that cholesterol caused the problem. It was actually just trying to help. And I love, um, there's a book called Vitamin K2 and the Calcium Paradox. It was written by a doctor named Kate Room, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Um, And she I love what she says. She's like, it's like blaming the firefighters for the fire. The firefighters come out to help put out the fire, right? They're like, oh dear, we, there's a fire. We got to come and bring our tools and put out the fire. And then it's like pointing at them and being like, well, you're here at the same time of the fire, so it's got to be your fault. It's obviously not how it works. So we want to make sure that we're addressing the factors that prompted that rise in cholesterol. Let's say we do have a cl- rise in cholesterol. We want to ask... Why? What were the? What was the impetus for the cholesterol to rise? It's it's rising to an occasion. So what is that occasion? Um, things like insulin resistance, inflammation, oxidative stress, and we're gonna get into the real nitty gritty specifics later on in the show. But that's an important thing. Cholesterol is anti-inflammatory, so if cholesterol is high, there's usually some inflammation that it's trying to handle. Um, let's get into diet and look at the difference between dietary cholesterol and serum cholesterol. So that's cholesterol that's kind of scooting around in your blood. Only about 25% of circulating cholesterol comes from dietary cholesterol, okay? So let that sink in for a little bit. Only a quarter of the cholesterol that's scooting around in your bloodstream actually comes from the food that you eat, from the cholesterol that you're eating. So that's not a huge percentage, right? Um, Cholesterol doesn't just set up shop in your arteries. It's not like you eat butter and then the butter just goes right from your mouth straight into the arteries and clogs it up. That's not how it works at all. 75% of cholesterol is produced inside of our bodies by the liver. And the liver actually regulates production based on what's cruising around in circulation. So even if you eat a low cholesterol diet, your liver is still going to make cholesterol. And if you're not eating enough dietary cholesterol, your liver will upregulate Cholesterol production in order to have enough for it to do its job. Um, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay, <laughs> you're going to have cholesterol in your body, just like the beat nut said. There's no escape in this. <laughs> la 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 um, This is a direct quote from Chris Cresser. Chris Cresser is a functional medicine practitioner, he's a licensed acupuncturist, and he, he's a big into research. He puts out a lot of good information around this whole subject. So if you want to do more deep diving and you want it kind of, rather than reading the research articles, you want it broken down into layman's terms, he's your guy. Um, he says, dietary cholesterol has very little impact on blood cholesterol levels in about 75% of the population. So for most of us, dietary cholesterol does not impact blood cholesterol very significantly. The remaining 25% of the population are referred to as hyper-responders. In this group, dietary, uh, dietary cholesterol does modestly increase both LDL and HDL, but it does not affect the ratio of LDL uh, HDL or increase the risk of heart disease, OK? So I'll break that down a little bit further. Most of us, 75% of us, the, the cholesterol that we eat doesn't really make a big difference to our serum cholesterol. For a quarter of the population, um, where a quarter of the population are hyper responders so dietary cholesterol can do a little can can bump up cholesterol levels a little bit but it doesn't increase the risk of heart disease and that is really at the crux of the the issue of cholesterol that's why we're scared of cholesterol because we're like oh my god heart disease um but for most of us there's not there's no there's no association there there's no I shouldn't say there's no association there's no causation there okay Um, So the question isn't so much, does consuming saturated fat and cholesterol increase blood levels of cholesterol? Because for most of us, it doesn't. But even if it does, is that a problem? Does it increase the risk of cardiovascular disease? Um, 2010 meta-analysis that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition concluded that there is insufficient evidence connecting saturated fat to heart disease. Okay, Um, Meta-analysis, just uh, so you know, is really the gold standard because it's analyzing many different studies. So it's taking all of these studies, it's lumping them together, and it's saying, what is the overall picture here? This case, there's 21 studies that it looked at, and there were 347,747 participants that's not like a group of 20 people. You know, this is a big deal. This meta-analysis is saying not enough evidence to connect saturated fat to heart disease. So, I mean, it's a pretty big deal, right? Have we been telling people to eat the wrong things? That's a that's a pretty big thing. Um, and by the way, I do link to that um, that article in the show notes. Okay, so... Cholesterol. What's its function? What does it do? Um, It is necessary for many processes in the body. It is biologically important. We need it. Cholesterol is critical for cell function and communication. So like I said, it makes up cell membranes. Cell membranes are there to keep things inside the cell and protect them from foreign invaders. Cell membrane is like a barrier system, and it's made up of something called the lipid bilayer. Do you guys remember that from science class? I can totally picture it in my head. Um, and at least 25% of these lipids are cholesterol. So it's it plays a very integral part in keeping our cells safe. Um, it plays a role in membrane fluidity, but it also reduces the permeability of lipid membranes, right? Making sure the things that are supposed to stay in, stay in, and that the things that are supposed to stay out, stay out. Um, we need enough fat in our diet to build up our own cells. Um, and one of the the keys here is to avoid inflammatory fats because they can get oxidized. Um, And I'll refer you back to episode three of the podcast, healthy and unhealthy cooking fats and oils, where we break that all apart. Um, What are the inflammatory fats to avoid? But these fats that we eat can become part of your cell membrane um, and they can have less optimal function. So you literally build up your cells with the fats that you consume. So just make sure you're choosing good ones And um, that's why I I had that earmarked as episode three, like the third episode I ever recorded was about that, it's that big of a deal. Um, If we're not eating great fats, if we're eating those inflammatory fats that can become oxidized, um, receptors on our cell membranes, uh, can get all messed up and they're responsible for signaling and communication between cells. So it can really mess up quite a lot of things. Okay. So it's important just for the basic building blocks of our body. It's also, cholesterol is also a hormone building block. It is the ultimate hormone precursor. Everything starts with cholesterol. Now, for my folks in your hormone revival, my three month hormone program, You get to see lectures and powerpoints and diagrams and all sorts of cool things to help you like visually connect to what i'm saying unfortunately i can't do that on the podcast but if you want to go and google steroid hormone pathway um, you'll see at the very tippity top is cholesterol so without cholesterol we are not building hormones. We need LDL cholesterol to form our steroid hormones, like the bad cholesterol. Ooh. Um, without it, we don't have hormones. Um, and that goes on to build pregnenolone, which is often called the mother of all hormones. Pregnenolone converts to progesterone, which goes on to produce cortisol. Pre- pregnenolone can also convert into DHEA, which is sometimes called the father of all hormones because it's the precursor for... Um, testosterone, it can be converted into estrogen. So basically, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol, all your sex hormones and all your stress hormones are manufactured from cholesterol. And if you don't have enough raw material, if cholesterol is too low, you can end up with low hormones. Um, And I see that quite a bit just on Dutch test is... um, people just having like flatlined hormones, just low, 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 low across the board. Um, now, patients who are on statins, they're trying to lower their LDL numbers, might not have enough of a hormonal precursor. Uh, low cholesterol can mean low hormonal output and And it can increase inflammation because, well, cholesterol is an anti-inflammatory, but so is cortisol. Um, Cortisol is a very potent and powerful anti-inflammatory. and helps to keep inflammation at bay. If we don't have enough precursor to make cortisol, if we have low levels of cortisol in our body, inflammation can kind of run amok throughout the body. So again, it all comes back to cortisol. Now, I've heard that any, um, anything below 150 is too low in order to be a hormone precursor. So um, that comes from Dr. Dan Kalish, that number. Um, cholesterol is also very necessary for bile production. I talked about bile in, um, in another episode and why bile is such an unsung hero, why it is so important, unfortunately so overlooked. Um, bile salts are cholesterol derivatives. They're synthesized in the liver from cholesterol. We need bile for fat absorption. We, need, um, we also need bile for the removal of toxins from the body. Uh, dietary fats need to be emulsified. I don't think everyone totally understands this. We don't just, just like digest and absorb fats. That first has to be emulsified down before we can absorb them, before we can digest them. And this is exactly what bile does. It emulsifies those fats. So not only do we need them to absorb fats, fatty acids, but we also need it for... Um, in order to absorb fat soluble vitamins, which again are needed to build hormones um, amongst amongst other things we need fat soluble vitamins for immune health we need them to keep food sensitivities at bay so really really important that we have all of the precursors um, for all of these necessary things um, as I mentioned, we need free-flowing bile to detoxify and flush out all the toxins in your liver, um, and we need bile in order to convert thyroid hormone T4 into active thyroid hormone t 3 Three, A lot of times when I run a functional thyroid panel, people will have perfectly normal T4, but they'll have low levels of free and total T3, which tells us that there's a conversion problem there. It's a very common thing. Um, one of the reasons is not having appropriate bile synthesis. So we need bile for hormonal health, for absorption of fats, for absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, and we need cholesterol in order to make bile. Let's stop here for a second and we'll pick right back up because I want to answer one of the top questions I get in my business, which is what probiotic do I recommend? Now, obviously this is going to depend on the individual and what you got going on in your gut, but for a daily staple probiotic, I'm a big fan of BioCult. I've actually been using them for since Hattie was a baby, so over six years ago, um, I first learned about this company, their favorite product of mine is their Boosted probiotic because it's four times the potency of their original formula. Boosted is cost-effective, it's shelf-stable, and it contains strains of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria, which are the friendly bacteria in our guts that are often really low in the people that I'm doing functional GI testing on and stool testing on. Those bifidobacteria especially, they make up 90% of the beneficial flora in our colon. So when we hear all about the microbiome and the benefits of the microbiome, a lot of what we're hearing about are those bifidobacteria. So whenever I'm looking for a probiotic or recommending a probiotic, I'm always looking to make sure that they do have different strains of bifido and BioCult's boosted absolutely does. They're non-GMO, they're gluten-free, and their stability and potency are guaranteed through external lab testing. So somebody else came in and they said, yep, what they're saying is in this is actually in this. Um, And if, if you can't swallow pills or you've got kiddo who can't swallow pills, you can break the capsules apart and sprinkle the contents into food or drink like oatmeal, yogurt, or smoothie or something like that. And of course, you can just swallow them whole. So head over to biocult.com, use code FUNK20 so you can save 20% and get your gut feeling good. All right? Now we're back. Okay. We also need cholesterol for our nervous system. Um, we need it because it's a precursor to vitamin D. Vitamin D acts as a hormone. It has metabolic and immune functions. Um, we need cholesterol for immune health, for T signaling, um, I talk a lot about T regulatory cells in episode 67, especially as it relates to autoimmunity. So if you can go check that out uh, for why that's so important. Um, It also helps with serotonin activity in the brain. Depression and anxiety are common with low levels of cholesterol. Um, It is an antioxidant. Cholesterol is one of our body's antioxidants, which I think is pretty cool. Repairs. Um, it's a regulator of oxidative stress in reducing oxidative stress. Cholesterol isn't like I said; is it's not going to just set up shop in your arteries. It's responding to inflammation. It's responding to injury. It's responding to infection. Cholesterol comes in and tries to fix the problem. Um, so it it's a big um, it plays a big role in body repair. It's also a brain antioxidant, so it protects brain cells from oxidative stress and free radical damage. Um, About 25% of our cholesterol is stored in the brain. High cholesterol is actually associated with improved memory. Um, It maintains neurological health and prevents neurodegenerative diseases. Higher rates of dementia and cognitive decline are associated with low cholesterol. And I threw a Bunch of resources into the mix. I mean, neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disease is no joke and it is on the rise. And we need to look at all the contributing factors here. But there is a clear link between low cholesterol and cognitive decline. So it's not just about getting cholesterol numbers lower and lower and lower and lower because there's significant problems with low cholesterol. Now, normally with different lab markers, you will see a range. So, if you get your blood tested for different stuff, you'll see um, your number and you'll see the lab range. And ideally, you want your number to fall within the lab range, right? That's what that's what says it's a normal lab function. So like an, an example is the, of this, um, conventional ranges for ferritin for an adult female is between 10 and 150, right? With cholesterol, many labs have changed the way that cholesterol is reported. So you won't see an upper limit and a lower limit like you would for just about any other marker. Um, instead, you'll see reference ranges as zero to 200, which implies that the lower your cholesterol is, the better. Like there's no low end to cholesterol. That's insane. That is completely nutso. Um Dr. Cheryl Burdett says a cholesterol of 0 is incompatible with life for all of the reasons that I just outlined right all of those reasons we can't have no cholesterol we can't even have low cholesterol low cholesterol is an in- indicator of poor health low cholesterol needs to be managed um a cholesterol of less than 155 is associated with an increased risk of suicide depression and um hemorrhagic stroke Like I said before, uh, less than 150 is, uh, we don't have enough uh, cholesterol precursors to build up our hormones. Um, Among older hospitalized adults, low serum cholesterol levels appear to be an independent predictor of short-term mortality. Yikes. Uh, A 2012 study looked at over 52,000 Norwegians, and researchers found that women with total cholesterols below 195 had a slightly, or had a higher risk of death. So that's not, I mean, 195, that's not even that crazy low. Um, uh, Let's see, a stat from the National Institute of Health said that 75% of people who have a heart attack have normal cholesterol levels, which tells us that it's not the cholesterol that's driving heart disease. 75% of people who have a heart attack have normal cholesterol levels. Low serum cholesterol has been associated with all-cause mortality in women. High levels correlate with longevity. Um, Other countries have higher cholesterol levels with greater health. Um, And again, there's links to all these studies. I'm kind of just like throwing out some fast facts at you, like big, heavy hitting points to drive home this uh, explanation. But if you want more detail, you can find more detail in the show notes. Low cholesterol in and of itself will cause symptoms, but we also have to ask the question, why is it uh, low? You know, it's like, we're always asking why. We're always doing digging. If it's high, we wanna know why. If it's low, we wanna know why. So some reasons for uh, low cholesterol would be hyperthyroidism. Um, Cholesterol is converted downstream by the thyroid hormone. So if you have overactive thyroid, that can cause low cholesterol. Adrenal fatigue, a manganese deficiency, malabsorption issues. So that would be gut problems. Bile formation uh statins overuse if you are prescribed a statin and it's too high of a dose that can drive down cholesterol to too low of a limit um genetic disorders and inflammation can all trigger low cholesterol okay so we also want to look at um underlying reasons for high cholesterol um the body is really quite smart It does things for a reason. Um, In your hormone revival, I'm always talking about body compensation and compensatory mechanisms. If we see a wonky pattern, if something kind of causes us to scratch our head, that's something that we wanna investigate. If cholesterol spikes, we wanna know why is there an underlying reason? Um, I'm not suggesting that cholesterol should be ignored altogether. It's a valid marker. It's giving us inflammation. Um, If LDL levels are very high, it's a sign that the body is being triggered to produce too much cholesterol, or it's not uh, utilizing cholesterol uh, effectively, or both. Um, But the answer when we see that high cholesterol, the answer isn't to just throw a statin at the problem because that's not going to address the underlying reason. And the underlying reason might keep humming along. So we're just kind of ignoring it. I'm not saying that nobody should be on a statin. Again, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. I'm just saying that there needs to be more investigative work done to figure out why uh, lipids are off. And you also get the negative side effects of taking a statin, which are significant. So we're going to talk about that, too. Ultimately, we have to stop saying, you have this disease, or you have this problem, or you have this imbalance. And we have to start asking, why? It's not, you have high cholesterol. It's, why? Why is the body upregulating cholesterol production pathways? Why is that happening? So let's look at some potential causes and reasons. One is dietary changes and fat loss, uh, funnily enough. Any big change to the diet, any dynamic shifts in your dietary intake, the body might need a a period of time to recalibrate itself. I'm not really a huge fan of testing for stuff and for doing the investigative work when you're in the midst of like a really big radical change, whether it's like diet or exercise or whatever, kind of like do the change, get underway with the change and then retest, reassess. Um, If you're actively losing weight, fat comes out of storage and then there's an increased there's increased fat in circulation. So that can increase LDL, it can re- increase total cholesterol for a short period of time. That's like not your new baseline, it's just happening through a transition period. Um, if you're on a ketogenic diet, cholesterol can sometimes go up when you produce ketones, so that's another thing to note. Um, but my, my advice would be to wait it out, um, observe, recheck, but don't freak out and get reactionary quite yet. Kind of like let the dust settle, see where your body nets out, and then retest, um, and then think about interventions. Um, Another reason could be hormones. Um, Anytime there's a big shift in hormones, so like postpartum, menopause, uh, breastfeeding, There can be a rise in LDL and total cholesterol. There's a very cool study that I linked to from 2010, the National Institute of Health, that said women's cholesterol levels vary with phase of menstrual cycle. So it's more likely cholesterol levels will be elevated in women before ovulation, which could have a particular impact on women whose cholesterol levels are already high. So testing at the end of a a cycle when cholesterol levels are low might do away with the need for an additional test to confirm a high cholesterol reading. Um, So basically, if you're a cycling woman, the timing of your testing uh, could be something to think about because it's going to fluctuate throughout the course of your cycle. Um, So I thought that was really freaking cool. Another big driver of high cholesterol is hypothyroidism, even subclinical hypothyroidism. So subclinical is thyroid dysfunction that wouldn't be flagged on a conventional thyroid test. And... Uh, so let's say you just went into your primary care doc and you're like, hey, could you test my thyroid? Um, they're generally going to just look at TSH or they're going to look at TSH and maybe T4. And that's not usually enough to flag um, to flag hypothyroidism. Sometimes it is, but not always. And the conventional ranges are very big. So you could be within conventional ranges of testing and you could still have thyroid dysfunction. So that's why I run a very specific set of labs for my clients, for your hormone revival participants. So we can get a, we can pick up subclinical hypothyroidism because it's still important. It's still something that wants to be addressed. Unfortunately, conventional medicine doesn't really like to treat thyroid until it becomes like a real problem. Um, They won't treat it until there's, actually been damaged to the thyroid gland done in mo- most cases. And we're trying to catch it before it becomes a problem. So subclinical hypothyroidism is significant in my estimation anyway. Um, thyroid hormones control the body's metabolism. And so it can affect cholesterol levels that way. Thyroid activity can affect LDL expression. Active thyroid hormone T3 stimulates LPL, which is lipoprotein lipase that breaks down cholesterol in the body. So when thyroid hormones are low, the body doesn't break down and remove LDL cholesterol as efficiently as it should be. So that could drive up the numbers. Um, And elevated TSH levels can also cause high cholesterol. Um, And this is independent of the hormones T3 and T4. So if your cholesterol panel is wonky, it makes sense to do a comprehensive thyroid check. And in fact, this just happened recently with a client of mine. She had high cholesterol. I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. And sure enough, we did a thyroid panel and she had Hashimoto. So it definitely warrants uh, a thyroid test. Okay. Another big reason for high cholesterol is active and acute infection in the body. Um, One of the ways that plaque buildup forms and creates that atherosclerosis that we know to be bad, 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 um, it's an inflammatory response of the inner artery. So there's some type of inflammation that's going on there. The inflammation is a response to injury. So it's an immune response, that inflammatory cascade that rushes to the artery is responding to some type of injury. And one of those types of injury can be infection. Um this is why we see increases of LDL, the bad cholesterol with active infection. It essentially um sequesters would be a good word. It it sequesters infection so to like keep our body safe from the infection. Um it tries to stop the infection process. Um stops the activity so it doesn't get into our cells and doesn't wreak havoc and doesn't cause um major problems. Again, LDL is just kind of running to the rescue. Um it's a short-term solution to a really bad infection. Uh, LPS, lipopolysaccharides, might be a terminology you're familiar with. It They live on the membrane of some bacteria. They're considered endotoxins. They're pretty darn toxic to the body. So if we've got bacteria, these LPS uh, toxins can really wreak havoc. Um, and even high amounts of it can contribute to sepsis. So it's a, they're, they're a big deal. They're, they're pretty bad. And what LDL, LDL cholesterol does is it binds to those LPS and kind of neutralizes the LPS, neutralizes that toxin. Um, patients in one study that I was looking at were able to inactivate 5 times more LPS before LDL removal than after LDL was removed, so they did this study and they, um, they removed LDL, and once they did that, we were less the, the participants were less able to fend the body off against that infection to inactivate that infection um, so LDL actually plays a quite a protective role in the body against infection, and we have to the whole the whole issue here is that we have to address the underlying infection rather than just clearing out the LDL. That's like telling the firemen to go home, but we still have no way of putting out the fire, right? Um, So I think that's really cool, and there's a couple of studies that I link to to showcase what I'm talking about. H. pylori is another driver of cholesterol and heart disease. H. By, excuse me h pylori is an infection of the upper gi tract um, it's a bacteria that is kind of unique because it can survive in very highly acidic environments like the stomach um, it's best known for causing peptic ulcers gastritis it, it uh, gastritis is when the lining of the stomach kind of almost gets like an ulcer on it. It gets um, really, it's like an open wound. And this can also happen on the duodenum too. So H. pylori is, it can be a major cause of this. And it also comes with some upper GI discomfort. Um, like burping, belching sometimes, but there's um, sometimes pain in the stomach, like a burning in the stomach. This is one thing that I'm screening almost all of my clients for via a stool test. And I take it very seriously when we find it on a stool test, because um, H. pylori can destroy vascular tissue. Autopsies are starting to turn up showing H. pylori bacteria in the lesions of stroke and heart attack victims. So this is not something that we want to take lightly. We want to address this infection um, if it's present. And then other things too, like environmental toxicity, heavy metals, basically anything that affects the liver can impact um, cholesterol. So we're always talking about this, you know, holistic approach to the body and, the cholesterol is no different. um there is a genetic predisposition, and I feel like sometimes this is used. I don't want to use the word excuse, that's not what I mean, but this is used as like, well, my mom had high cholesterol, and it's like right, but why right is it does this truly run in your family, or do the um the driving factors that drive up, the underlying factors that drive up cholesterol run in your family, right? Is the, what's what really runs in the family here. Um, FH stands for familial hypercholesterolemia. That's a real thing. It involves a mutation of a of a gene that codes for LDL receptor or the gene that codes for Apo lipoprotein B, Apo B. carriers. Um, nope, that's not what I meant to say. I'm like, I am not saying this word right. Homozygous carriers of FH have two copies of the mutated gene. Um, This condition is very rare. It affects only about one in a million people but heterozygous carriers have one copy of the mutated gene uh, and the other copy is functioning normally and this is more common and the prevalence is somewhere between one in 300 to one in 500 people so if you have true familial hypercholesterolemia if you've done genetic testing to know this that's one thing but even still that number still doesn't correlate with the number of people on statins there are far more people on statins than people with FH okay but that could be a little bit more investigative work for you if you know you have high cholesterol levels your family's all had high cholesterol levels something that you've kind of always dealt with maybe do some genetic testing to figure out if that is you Um. Okay, so how do we support healthy cholesterol levels in the body? Number one, we want to support liver function. Uh, the liver is you know, processing and producing cholesterol, so we have to support the liver function. Um, you can go back to episode 15, All About Detox, where I talk pretty extensively about how to do that. We need proper bile flow. So again, that's episode 37, where I talk about bile and liver support. Those are two, two episodes to check out. Um, we can do bot- botanical support, um, herbs that help to support uh, the, the liver, things like turmeric and milk thistle, um, other nutritional support like glutathione and N-acetylcysteine. We can do dietary support. Um, a big one is to reduce refined, sh- refined sugars and carbohydrates. That's going to be really important for the health of your liver and for cholesterol levels. We want to avoid fructose. Fructose is a hepatotoxin. Um, it's a fructose intake is associated with fatty liver disease in children. Um, our liver really struggles to deal with fructose. It has a finite capacity for fructose metabolism, meaning we can only deal with so much. Um, it can produce triglycerides and increase LDL in the body if we're consuming fructose regularly. It can kind of bog down the liver while it struggles to clear it. There's different ceilings of fructose consumption for children and adults. Children really shouldn't be exposed to refined fructose um, if we can help it. It's just not a health food, it's the exact opposite. Um, I wrote a recent blog post about the isogenics uh, kids smoothie um, and why I find that it's problematic. Um, this company uses something called health washing to make them seem like they're using really good products, the best of the best for you and your family, but when you actually break down the ingredients, like I did on my blog post, um, I'll link to that in the show notes as well, we can see how um, they're really junky ingredients. And one of the sugars that they use in this kids smoothie is fructose and that is a problem and you can read more about why it's a problem in that blog post Um, another thing that's really really important to support healthy cholesterol is anti-inflammatory diet because remember cholesterol is rushing um to inflammatory responses to to like put out the fire and we want to mitigate those inflammatory responses. We want to dampen the inflammation. Um, one of the, the main sources of inflammation in our modern day is our modern diet. So if we shift over to more of an anti-inflammatory diet, that is just going to help to um, reduce the need for cholesterol. Um, we need a co- uh, Anti-inflammatory diet looks like lots of different color, nutrient density. Uh, antioxidant rich. We're avoiding inflammatory oils. Look at your salad dressings. Do they contain industrial seed oils like soybean oil, canola oil, um, sunflower seed oil, cottonseed oil? We want to avoid all of those things. Um, There's nothing like there's, it's, It's a bummer to see somebody invest a lot of time and effort and money into all of this beautiful, colorful produce and then dump those inflammatory oils on top of it. So do your best to avoid those. You can um, make your own salad dressings. Um, Primal Kitchens makes good uh, bottled, store-bought dressings um, that use good oils. So that's something to check out. Um, Oh my gosh. While I'm on it, I have to tell my client gave me this recipe for homemade salad dressing that is like, will knock your socks off. It is good. It's like something you would get in a restaurant. So you take a third of a cup, or I mean, you could use a half a cup if you want to make more, whatever. Equal parts balsamic vinegar and olive oil. So I always use organic um, extra virgin olive oil. So I do a third of a cup of each. I throw in a clove of garlic. And I put in about like half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of Dijon mustard and then blend it up. It is so good. Um, It'll store in the fridge for quite a few days. So I highly recommend making that. Oh my god, I just want to like drink my salads all the time. Okay, moving on. Um, So my point with that is you know, making your own salad dressing doesn't have to be totally sucky and time-consuming. Okay, and then to get into like, if you need a little bit more hand-holding through the process, if you just want more details, um, low-inflammatory diet is the diet that I outline in my Fueled and Fit self-study program. So you can purchase that on my website anytime. It's a 21-day program that walks you through a whole foods, anti-inflammatory diet, how to shop, how to meal prep, All of it um it's like the gateway drug into eating whole foods um so i highly recommend that if you haven't checked that out or you feel like you just need more support in this area um or my carb compatibility project i specifically designed this program to be anti-inflammatory and liver supportive and it reduces and eliminates the refined sugars, the refined flours that are so problematic for heart health. So it basically encompasses all the things that I'm gonna talk about today. It's in the context of that program. Um, So that could be something to check out. And just a quick side note here, maybe not so quick, but something that I want to get off my chest. I did get a negative podcast review talking about how I promote my nutrition programs on this show. And I think I'll probably riff on it in a future episode because I I want to address this whole concept of women and self-worth. Because the two negative reviews that I've gotten on my podcast, this is what they said. One said I had too much of an ego and the other criticized me for promoting my own services. which just tells me that we have a real dysfunctional cultural belief that it's not okay for women to have confidence or to ask for fair compensation for their work and that makes me crazy and that makes me want to pull my hair out um it takes me 3 to n- anywhere between like depending on the size of the program like usually like 6 to 9 months or more to develop online programs. And I'm just curious if people think it's possible to disseminate all that information down into a one hour podcast because it's really, really not. We're just talking about one little nutrient today and it's already over an hour. Um, And as I've told you guys before, it takes me a full working day to produce this podcast. So I would love to pose this question to my critic. What do you make? for a day's worth of work. How much money do you make? Would you be frustrated if somebody asked you to do that day's worth, worth of work for free? because that's exactly what I'm doing in order to provide free resources, health information for my audience. And I do it happily. You know, you guys know I love this podcast. I love to get on the mic. Give me the mic so I could take it away, just like ODB. Um, but what I don't do happily is accept this like weird sense of entitlement that every aspect of information that you could ever want be spoon-fed to you for free in 60 minutes or less. That's totally bananas. So moving on, I did want to call attention to that because um, when I, like I I love to give information in the show, but if you need more specific guidance catered to you, that's when you need to opt into a program, right? And most of you guys get that, but anyway, uh, moving on. You can grab that inflammatory diet in one of my food programs. Um, It's really comprehensively laid out for you. It's easy to follow along with. And if you want to do the CCP, I will be running my next program in January because everyone's looking to do a little healthy reboot, give their liver some love at the start of the year, which I get. Okay. So what are some interventions if you do have high LDL and high total cholesterol. First thing I'm going to say here is that you, ha- it, it makes sense to try to figure out any underlying cause, right? Is there a gut pathogen? Is there something else going on, right? We, we need to start asking the questions why. We also have to regulate inflammation. Um, so this is where the fish oils come in, um, omega-3s high-dose omega-3 EPA, DHA, will reduce triglycerides. So that is pretty uh, important to do. If you don't like taking fish pills, eating fish, fatty fish, um, like sardines and salmon, anything cold water and fatty, um, have high amounts of omega-3s. You can do like four, four four-ounce servings a week. That's a pretty good therapeutic dose. If you don't like eating fish, um, it you can get a little bit of omega-3s through grass-fed beef and pasture-raised chickens, but just not in like high therapeutic amounts. So that's generally when I tell people to take the fish oil pills, um, if you can't th- eat that much fish or you just don't like it. Um, if you don't like fish oil pills or you're a vegan, um, it's pretty darn hard to get the requisite appropriate long-chain fatty acids through... Um, through nuts and seeds. But you can look into algal oil, algae oil. Um, We've talked about that on the show before when we talked about supplements, but that could be a good option for you as well. Um, Turmeric is also great if you have high inflammation, but I don't love to just like pew, 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 blast people with turmeric without saying like, hey, where's the inflammation coming from, right? We also want to address what is driving up that inflammation. Turmeric can only do so much. doing some fibers to bring down the cholesterol is a smart idea. And there's many different types of fibers. We could do flaxseed. We could do um, functional fibers. There's a product from Designs for Health called Paleo Fiber that has lots of different fibers, uh, prebiotic fibers to preferentially feed your gut bacteria. There's a different bunch, bunch of different ways to do fibers, and you can just get them through diet by eating more fruits and veggies. It's a, always a good option there. Um, it will help to remove excess circulating hormones as well. Fiber does a lot of different cool things. Um, red yeast rice is a pretty good natural supplement that can be used as a statin replacement. It's what statins are derived from. I'm totally not saying this as medical advice. You wanna take this up with your healthcare provider. I'm just providing this as a potential uh, resource for you to look into. Um, and then let, let's talk a little bit about cholesterol by the numbers in labs. Um, so basic lipid a basic lipid panel that you would get at your doctor's office looks at triglycerides, Uh, total cholesterol, HDL, and LDL. Again, LDL and total cholesterol are considered bad. Those are the things that we're trying to lower in our conventional mindset. Um, But the risk of cardiovascular disease is not evident just by looking at LDL alone. Uh, We also need to look at shifts in particles. Um, So particle count is important. The density of LDL molecules are important. We want large, more fluffy and puffy molecules. Those are less prone to oxidation, um, less prone to driving plaque formation. Um, We also want to look at the ratio of triglycerides to HDL. Um, That is a good indicator of, or can be an indicator of insulin resistance or prediabetes. So we want to see that ratio under two. Um, We also want to look at other markers for cardiovascular risk um, so CRP, which is looking at systemic inflammation, homocysteine is a risk factor, high levels of homocysteine um, indicates vascular inflammation. Again, that LPA, uh, lipoprotein A, um, it's the, one of the most predictive uh, markers for future risk of heart disease. So that's an important one. Um, there are different functional cardiometabolic panels you can get the one from doctor's data is one that i like so i'm just going to read down the list of most of the the markers that it's looking for so it's doing a full lipid panel so you're looking at total cholesterol hdl triglycerides um you're also looking at ldl vldl uh non-hdl cholesterol oxidized LDL. Remember that's problematic. Small, dense LDL, right? We want them fluffy and we want them puffy. Um, LPA, uh, homocysteine, CRP, apolipoprotein A1, apolipoprotein B, uh, insulin, glucose, leptin, adiponectin, all of those play into cardiovascular risk. Um, And then also the ratio of total cholesterol to HDL. So that would be a really comprehensive workup of what your overall uh, risk is for heart disease. So it's a lot more than just like LDL and total cholesterol, right? Um, And if the, the main reason that we're worried about cholesterol is cardiovascular disease risk, Um, And obviously, cardiovascular disease is a legitimate concern since it's the leading cause of death. What can we do to protect our heart health? Um, We have to go to the root cause of cardiovascular disease. And it's not just high cholesterol, it is inflammation. Inflammation is the mechanism behind most disease processes, including heart disease. Um, We have to look at the whole metabolic syndrome picture. So this includes high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high fasting blood glucose, high insulin levels, insulin resistance. All of this needs to be addressed um, as well. Again, not just cholesterol. Um, High blood pressure can create little micro tears in, in the vascular system that need repair those little micro tears need repair and that will drive up Inflammation. So the immune system, right, is going to respond to those little tears. It's going to say, uh oh, we have a problem. Let's send the infl- inflammatory cascade to repair. Um, and cholesterol swoops in as a band aid to repair that injury, right? But we're not going to blame cholesterol for the injury. We're going to say, why did the injury happen in the first place? So we want to, for sure, regulate blood pressure. We also want to regulate blood sugar. Uh, we want to keep inflammation down Um, this comes back to the anti-inflammatory diet this comes to lowering life stress these are all like getting outside in nature getting adequate sleep all of like the basic building blocks for health Um, somebody had written in a listener question saying is sugar the real problem like maybe it's not cholesterol and saturated fat is sugar the real problem And I would absolutely say that, yeah, for sure, it's one of the major problems. The literature supports that a high sugar, high refined carbohydrate diet is more problematic for heart health than a high fat whole foods diet. So cleaning up removing the sugars, removing the refined carbage, all that refined carbohydrate matter that has no nutritional value, but sends your blood sugar on a total roller coaster. It spikes your blood sugar, then it drops it, insulins release. It's like a whole freaking nightmare and that contributes to heart disease. Um, there's also some interplay between the gut and cardiovascular disease risk, so we can't just over—we can't just look at one thing. We kind of have to address the whole body. I know, I know. Um, One of the reasons that we hear that red meat is bad is because high blood levels of TMAO are associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease and all cause mortality. TMAO stands for trimethylamine N-oxide. There's an enzyme produced in an inflammatory response by your gut bugs. And if we have certain types of gut bacteria and we eat red meat or we eat cheese or we eat egg yolks, um, anything with the dietary phosphatidylcholine, the bacteria can convert choline into TMAO. So that's just like the emoji with like the brain exploding right now is like... (laughs) You might be feeling that like, what just happened? But basically, if you have bad little buggies in your gut, they can take a really important nutrient like choline and turn it into a, a bad guy that is a risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, so we have to always be mindful of of the gut and be supportive of gut health in diets that are high in sugar and refined carbohydrates are not supportive of good gut health. Sugar tends to feed the problematic bacteria. And unfortunately, our modern diet is altering our microbiome, our gut microbiome. Um, It's taking molecules that we need, like choline, and making them incompatible with health. So yeah, I would totally say sugar is a problem. Get the sugar out of there. You gotta do it. Okay. And then finally, 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 let's talk briefly about statins. So statins block an enzyme in the liver called HMG-CoA reductase. And this enzyme is responsible for making cholesterol. So it does lower cholesterol, and that's the mechanism of how it lowers cholesterol. But that enzyme that's being blocked also plays a role in making vitamin D, making testosterone, making CoQ10, and even serotonin production. So when we block it, cholesterol comes down, but so does a lot of other things. Um, It is a known fact that taking statins deplete your CoQ10. CoQ10 is a critical nutrient for mitochondrial metabolism. So think energy. We need um, healthy mitochondria, and we need all the cofactors to produce energy. So it's depleting nutrients. Uh, Side effects of statins oftentimes correlate with nutrient deficiencies. So side effects include liver inflammation, muscle aches, uh, peripheral neuropathy, increased risk of diabetes, kind of a big deal, uh, depression, vitamin D deficiency, low libido, erectile dysfunction, It can reduce long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. And then obviously the downstream effects of making less cholesterol is that you make less sex hormones, uh, less cell membrane function, less bile, all the things that we already talked about earlier. Ultimately, again, all statins aren't bad. I'm not saying nobody should be on a, a statin, but ultimately what the research seems to show is that those who have had a cardiac event statins can play a big role in reducing a secondary event or even death. But people with no plaque in their arteries and have never had an event, taking statins may have more of a risk than a benefit. Okay? So that's it. Comprehensive deep dive on cholesterol. I hope I cleared up some of your confusion. um, And made you feel more confident in choosing the appropriate foods for you and your body. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.